0: Eight thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We are broadcasting live from day two at the Wisconsin State Fair. If you're coming out to the fair today, be sure to stop by and say hello. Um, also, my advice would be if you're coming out to the state fair, Uh, Today, uh, a little bit chilly, and I'm not saying that in an effort to try to discourage people. It's just you want to be prepared. My advice would be, you know, bring a sweatshirt or bring a light jacket. Lots of people um, in long pants, and lots of blue jeans, haven't seen the first beer of the morning yet. But uh, that will undoubtedly come. So it's just a little bit cooler. But there's uh, absolutely no problem at all. It's going to be, I think, a great day and all sorts of great stuff going on at the fair. We're going to have live broadcasting for WTMJ all day here. I'll be here till noon. Skafidi and Stat from noon until 3, making their introductory appearance at the State Fair. John McCure um, in from 3 until 6 with his program as well. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things, things that I think you need to know about. Story number one, report yesterday. Special Counsel Robert Mueller has now apparently impaneled a grand jury, and all sorts of chattering, the chattering class is chattering. Um, Robert Mueller is, of course, the special counsel. He has been given broad authority, and this is part of the problem with the special counsel statutes. He has been given broad authority to conduct an investigation into the Trump campaign and whether the Trump campaign had ties with Russia. Now, part of the problem, and we saw this as it played out in the John Doe investigations conducted uh, by the district attorney of Milwaukee County that cost taxpayers of Milwaukee County an enormous amount of money. One of the things that happens when you start, whether it's a John Doe investigation or a grand jury investigation, is there's really no limit to where you can go. So you start poking around. And you find something, and maybe it's not directly related to your charge, but that's what happened with the uh, John Doe investigation, which was originally an investigation into whether somebody was stealing money from a a veteran's uh, event, and then it morphed into this giant investigation of campaign finance irregularities run by a politically motivated district attorney. That, that's always the danger when you have a grand jury investigation and people start poking around, and it's like, well, okay, we, we, we can't find something with this, but maybe we can find something else that we can convince 12 people is a crime. So that's always one of the dangers of a grand jury investigation. What does it mean to actually have a grand jury investigation? investigation and and who really runs this. And I've been listening over the course of the last, oh, about 12 hours to a lot of people talking, including people who really don't know what they're talking about. So I'll give you the perspective from somebody who um, actually was a grand jury coordinator when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office for a time and has been responsible for running lots and lots of grand jury investigations. A grand jury is, is different from a regular jury, what they call a petty jury. A grand jury are people from the community who are brought in for a given length of time to help prosecutors investigate crimes and ultimate potential crimes and ultimately determine whether or not there's probable cause to issue charges. In the federal system... No case goes to trial, as a general rule, unless a grand jury has returned an indictment. An indictment simply means a grand jury has determined probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed. Then it goes through the trial process. That being said, grand jurors, as a general rule, don't conduct the investigations. I mean, the joke out there is that any a prosecutor could indict a grand uh, a, you could indict a grilled cheese sandwich if the prosecutor wanted it it is the prosecutor that directs the grand jury as a general rule it is the prosecutor who decides which witnesses get called in front of the grand jury and so if a, you have an aggressive prosecutor for example who wants to see charges issued it 's not too hard it 's not too hard to present evidence in such a way to convince this grand jury that there are and i think The numbers, I believe, vary a little bit from district to district, but you're probably talking in the neighborhood of, you know, 18 people or so, maybe a couple more on a grand jury. In any event, the biggest advantage to a grand jury is it gives a prosecutor subpoena power. And so what will happen is, and typically the grand jury isn't generally consulted other than the fact that the prosecutor will say, we're going to be issuing subpoenas in connection with this case. Um, but subpoena power allows you to obtain records. My guess is is that Robert Mueller right now is in the process of issuing a series of subpoenas, for example, for bank records. That would be the thing. If you're investigating, is there a financial crime here? My guess is they would be in the process of sending subpoenas to you know, various banks that, for example, people with the Trump campaign might have done business with wanting to look at checking account records, wanting to look at other stuff to determine, you know, is there any financial paper trail. If you have a grand jury subpoena, you can go to a cell phone provider, for example, and you can say, all right, I want to see a list of all the calls that were made from this particular cell phone. Um, Why would you want to do that? Well, maybe it would give you an indication of if somebody denied they ever had any contact with somebody else, and you go and you look at their cell phone records and you say, okay, well, on such and such a date, um, there was a call placed from the cell phone, which is subscribed to by you, to a cell phone subscribed to by this person that you say you never talked to, you know, how do you account for that? I mean, it's not direct evidence of a crime or anything, but it would be circumstantial evidence. So my guess is... By impaneling a grand jury, you're going to see the special counsel be sending out a ton of subpoenas all over in an effort to try to, uh, again, determine whether or not there's any paper trail. For any sort of, of criminal activity that there's there. The other thing that the grand jury allows you to do is it d- does give you subpoena power. You can bring people into the grand jury, and you can question witnesses under oath to get their statements. And obviously, if a witness you know, testifies in such a way that it's, it gives false evidence... Well, then, you know, your basis, you could have a basis perhaps for prosecuting them for perjury. In addition, if a witness comes in and says they don't want to cooperate, let's say they say, I'm not going to testify because I want to have. I believe that it would implicate me, and I want to assert my Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. What you could do if you wanted to immunize somebody is based on that assertion. You could then take them in front of a judge. You could have them given immunity, brought back to the grand jury, and compelled to testify. So it's a way of potentially compelling people to testify. It is a way of obtaining records. In and of itself, it doesn't mean that there is evidence of a crime. It is just the starting point in an investigation. There's lots of situations, when I, I was involved in a number of these, where what would happen is an FBI agent would come to you and would say, hey, we've got some reports that, you know, there's been some sort of activity that's going on, and, you know, we, we want to start the investigation. So I'd say, sure, what you do is you open up a grand jury matter, you issue maybe a handful of subpoenas, and then you look at it, and you determine early on, hey, there's nothing here. You know, we, we've done some due diligence, we've checked it out, it doesn't look like there's any irregularity here, and then you close the investigation. That said, though, while that happens, and while there's no necessary, there's nothing necessarily evil to draw from the fact that there's a grand jury investigation, there is no question that when you have something like this, especially if you have aggressive prosecutors who are looking to be creative when it comes to trying to find crimes, giving them the power to subpoena, the power to obtain records, I always used to say half-jokingly, that if you, gave me somebody, if you gave me four years' worth of somebody's bank records and four years' worth of their phone records, I could find something somewhere that I could convince 12 people was a crime. That's just, that's just how... Now, if you're a responsible prosecutor, you don't do anything with that. But when you start poking around into people's financial records and things like that, it always opens all sorts of doors. The Trump administration is absolutely hair on fire about the fact that there is now these reports that there's a grand jury investigation. And by the way, grand jury proceedings are supposed to be secret, just like in Milwaukee, John Doe proceedings were supposed to be secret. How did that work out? The way people find out about grand juries, though, is because in the federal system, the prosecutors and the grand jurors are not allowed to talk about the proceedings, but witnesses can. So if somebody gets a subpoena... Saying, "Hey, I um, the, they've subpoenaed you know, records of you know so and so. There's nothing that stops that witness from going public with that. So that's how people find out." Information. Similarly, if a witness gets called in front of the grand jury and that witness decides that they want to go, as soon as they walk out of the grand jury room, go and do an interview with Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever about the questions they were asked, there's nothing that prohibits the witness from doing that. Grand jury secrecy only applies to the prosecutor, to court personnel associated with the grand jury and to the grand jury itself. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is potentially, and I say potentially, a, a big step in the ongoing investigation because of all the reasons I just outlined. Do you think that this is a witch hunt? There is no time limit on how long the investigation can proceed. Grand juries are typically impaneled for about 18 months. But even at the end of that, if you think that their work isn't done, you can continue a grand jury. You can impanel a new one. Is this a witch hunt? Or do you think it is a logical step that is going to lead to criminal charges against some people involved in the Trump campaign? 414-799-1620, that's the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll discuss. But big news is grand jury proceedings, witch hunt, or just perhaps another nail in, figuratively speaking, the coffin of the presidency of President Trump. Where is this going to go? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 845. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 847. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's back to the AL East, in interleague play for the Brewers as they begin a road swing in Tampa. Our game day coverage from Tropicana Field begins at 535 this evening here on 620 WTMJ. All right. There's no way to underplay this. This is a dramatic escalation of the investigation into Donald Trump, presumably, or the Trump campaign. Initially, there was a grand jury in northern Virginia that was looking at whether or not Michael Flynn, the former security director, whether or not... He had committed perjury in connection with his earlier statements about whether he had contact with the Russians. By impaneling a grand jury in Washington, D.C., that says that the special prosecu- special counsel, it's the same as special prosecutor, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, has, is in the process of broadly expanding the investigation. Um, don't be surprised if it starts looking at finances of Donald Trump or his associates. Um, it's a dramatic step. Is it a witch hunt? Let's start with Brian and Kenosha. Brian, good morning.
1: Hello, good morning. It's obviously a witch hunt. This is all designed to hide the embarrassment of Hillary losing the campaign. Uh, and this is all, this is designed by the Clintons. Uh, there is no collusion here. If anything, Trump wants friendship and. Trading with Russia, he doesn't want the Democrats are keep beating the war drums with Russia. I mean, to cover an embarrassment, and this is really getting us in trouble. I mean, we're we're losing a relationship with Trump. I mean, with Russia, mm-hmm. just because Hillary lost, and you know, Trump doesn't want to be. He wants to deal with Russia. He wants us to trade friends. Everybody. So this is obviously a witch hunt, and they're gonna, this is an investigation that just keeps coming up with nothing.
0: Well, it, okay. it is interesting. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, now, I don't know this is b- b- sponsored by the, the Clintons. What you have is you have a very, but you do have a very, very aggressive prosecutor who has potentially a very large and broad charge. And like I say, once you start poking uh, around, all right, I'm going to pull all the bank records. I want to look at every check um, written into all these various accounts controlled by you know President Trump, Um, or controlled by his corporations, so I want to look at all the financial records, and I want to see, you know, money going out, money coming in, and then, I mean, that's, again, that's how this John Doe spiraled so very, very, very out of control because, oh, now we found something else here. We want to do this. That's what the fear of this is, that it's not going to be this narrow sort of investigation. Clearly, Robert Mueller, he's bringing in former federal prosecutors who specialize in bribery and things like that. I mean, they've hired a ton of lawyers who are going to be doing this. At the same time, I do think that before you start going down this route, you really... You really have to have a good faith basis for believing that there have been crimes that have been committed. And at least thus far, there doesn't appear to be any sort of public evidence suggesting that. My sense is you have a federal prosecutor who right now has decided, I am going to just start poking around. I'm going to start looking under every every bed to see if I can uncover something. 414 Charlotte, Northern Illinois. Charlotte, good morning.
2: Hi, good morning. Jeff, uh, you, you brought up something that I was going to ask. Where is the crime they're looking for, Uh witch hunt? And by the way, what is a perjury trap? Scooter Libby went to prison, mm-hmm. uh Corey, after a special counsel investigated, but they knew right from the beginning there was no crime. What is a perjury trap after hours and hours of testimony of Donald Trump Jr. or uh the son-in-law, right. Kushner? What could
0: happen here? Well, no, th- and thanks for the call, Charlotte. I mean, what you're talking about with a perjury trap is where you you bring somebody into the grand jury, you put them under oath, and then you see, unlike here, here's what's different about a grand jury proceeding. There is no right to have an attorney present in the grand jury proceeding. So you go into the grand jury, you don't have a lawyer, you don't know in advance necessarily where the prosecutor is going, and you have to answer a series of questions. The perjury trap idea is where, okay, you answer questions for two or three hours, and you give an answer or two which is is incorrect, Um, and then you... Now, just giving an incorrect answer doesn't automatically mean that it is perjury. You know, you, there has to be an intention to mislead. But if you give an incorrect answer or something that subsequently turns out to be not true, you always expose yourself. Potentially, did that because then you're going to be arguing: Did were you just wrong, or did you intend to lie about something? So it, it's very, very dangerous. That's why so many people will just not testify in front of a grand jury. They'll assert their Fifth Amendment rights, and even then, you assert your Fifth Amendment rights, you get immunity. You then have to answer questions, but that doesn't protect you if you do something which is called lying. I just, this, it is the underlying thing. And look, I think you need to be aggressive in trying to root out crimes. But this is the problem with special prosecutors. Like I say, we saw this. We saw this in Wisconsin with this John Doe investigation that was completely and totally out of control by John Chisholm and some of his minions. It started special investigation, special prosecutor for a very narrow purpose. Then you had a politically motivated district attorney who just completely and totally went off on this enterprise of his own, in trying, including trying to invent legal theories that did not exist. Let's talk to Ted in Milwaukee. Ted, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Hello. Hi, Ted. Good morning. I better turn the sound down on and
0: the radio. Okay. Well, what happens is you hear yourself seven seconds later, and it confuses you and me. So, <laughs> good morning.
2: <laughs> good morning. Uh, I wanted to say again, I'm sorry about the loss of your wife. Well, thank you. Just, thank you. Um, yes, uh, my wife and I were at the scouting thing, had seen you then. At that time, oh. I didn't know how serious oh. it was. Thank you. This is when my grandson became an eagle. Uh, but, yes, I agree with the caller before entirely. I, I think this is a witch hunt, and I think Hillary Clinton's behind it. There's no vengeance more than that from a woman <laughs> who is feels that she was not handled right. And that's the situation.
0: Well, I'm, Ted, thanks, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And congratulations to your grandson for winning an Eagle Scout Award. I mean, I don't. I actually, I I don't think this is a Clinton thing. I think this is what happens when you have aggressive prosecutors who decide that they want to try to, uh, uh, again, turn over every rock, look under every bed, and trying to determine whether or not they can find something that they can convince 12 people is a crime. And and that's, uh, you know, I will tell you this. For most people, you might think you live the cleanest life possible. Well, all right, if you have an army of federal prosecutors poking around in every financial transaction that you make, hey, you know, did you, did you report every time you ordered something over the Internet, did you report the sales tax that you were supposed to report on it? Well, no, it doesn't look like that because we can't find, you know, some of those payments. We're going to go back and look at how much money you paid to Amazon. Oh, and it looks like you didn't send the sales tax into the state. Boom, we're going to go after you and we're going to find you for a crime. I'm just saying that. You can be very aggressive in that fact. It appears that this is a dramatic escalation. Is it going to lead to anything? I don't know. Not making any predictions there. But I will tell you, if if this is the, the clock, if it, we had been like like at five minutes to noon or five minutes to midnight when we're talking about Trump and the investigations, we're now at three minutes to midnight. There's no other way to look at it other than that. All right, big thing number two is coming up. The Foxconn payroll could exceed $800 million, and yet there are still some people who want to throw cold water on it. We'll continue the discussion. That's big thing number two, and it's coming up. It's 8.56. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 9.08. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. If you are coming out to the fair today, my advice is... Um, bring, bring a light jacket, bring a sweatshirt. It's um, it's chilly. It's, it really is kind of like a late fall day out here. I can remember, I was trying to think, with the exception of one year when we didn't broadcast from here, um, we, we've been out here every year. Matter of fact, when I started at WTMJ filling in for Charlie Sykes, my first job was out here at the State Fair. So I, I think... This is, with the exception of that one year when we weren't here um, live, this is, I think it's my 20th season broadcasting from the fair, and I absolutely love it. And I, my, my big recollection of the fair is how many days I've been out here when it's been really, really hot and, and just kind of sweltering. That is not today. So if you're coming out at the fair, um, my advice would be, again, a sweatshirt or a light jacket or something like that. Um, but be prepared to enjoy yourself. It's going to be an absolutely great day at the fair. I love the opportunity of meeting people, but I want to, before we get into big thing number two, share a story from yesterday. It's just I've been sort of chuckling about it in the case of, like, sort of people say the darndest things. Now, I go out during the breaks, and I like to talk to people, and um, typically what happens is at the end of an hour or the end of the show, a lot of people will kind of, like, gather by the the door that we go in and out of, and they just want to stop and say hi, and I just think that's the greatest thing in the world. One of the things I love about radio is the personal medium I never – I, I never get tired of, of, and I never forget the fact that you're so generous to you know, invite me into your homes or into your cars. You know, It's a very personal one-on-one medium, and, and people think they, they know you, and they, they actually do, because you, you share different things. So there, there's a number of people yesterday, and I'm talking to them, and it's kind of like a receiving line. You're, you're working your way through, and I noticed that there was an older woman who had been watching some of the show from here at the fishbowl, and, and she's kind of standing towards the back of the line, and she waited. I mean, it, it probably took her five to ten minutes for me to kind of go through and talk to different people, and I come up to and I said well well hi I saw you watching the show and she said first thing she said to me was I'm going to insult you now I have met over the course of my lifetime tens of thousands of people perhaps more and I have never started off a conversation with I'm going to insult you now inevitably maybe in that course of the conversation I did insult somebody but I've never started off by saying I'm going to insult you but she says I'm going to insult you so I guess fair warning and I said yeah. And she said, I was listening to you the other day, and you were talking about how you, you really, you, you like your iPod. We were doing a story about how um, Apple is discontinuing making the iPods, and I just love the iPod, and I got a lot of response to that story. I said, And she said, you know, I was listening, and you were talking about how you love, you know, using your iPod when you go to the gym and you get on the treadmill. I said, yeah, that, 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 that's true. And she says, well, after looking at you, I just think that you need to spend more time at the gym. Okay so in other words you waited 10 minutes in line to tell me that you think i'm fat <laughs> you know it's just and when you get this it's kind of like what what do you say you know i said well um you're you're probably right like kind of thank thanks for listening i'm thinking it's kind of like all the kids you know, you wait to see Santa, you're standing in line, you're, you're at the department store, or you're at the mall, and you're waiting to see Santa, and you're sitting there for like 10 minutes, and you're trying to think, I know, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell Santa that I think his ears are too big, or I'm going to tell Santa that I think his nose is too big, or, or whatever. Now, by the way, truth is an absolute defense, and she might very well be right. I could probably stand to lose 10 pounds. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm motivated that's kind of my goal over the next two months. I'm motivated to lose about 10 pounds um, for a variety of reasons, but that um, that's my goal. But this, this lady decided to share that with me. So um, come on out to the State Fair, and you know we, we can have a conversation, and you can weigh in on whether or not I need to spend some more time at the gym. <clears throat> Big story number two, Foxconn. Yesterday um, in Madison, hearings, public hearings on, on Foxconn. And I I think this is completely and totally appropriate. This is a a very, very big deal. The estimates are that if everything goes as expected, there could be a taxpayer outlay of up to three b as in billion dollars for this this business. Now that's that's not saying that it's going to be three billion dollars. It's saying that it could be up to three billion dollars. Um, in a taxpayer outlay, subsidies, things like that, um, if Foxconn delivers on all its promises. The way the deal is structured, it's, okay, if Foxconn brings 3,000 jobs, they get X amount of money. If Foxconn brings 13,000 jobs, they get more money. So it's structured with some taxpayer protection in it. In addition, Foxconn is committing to $10 billion in initial startup spending, and they estimate about $7 billion of that is going to go to Wisconsin businesses. Wisconsin businesses, for example, that are going to do the construction on the facility. Wisconsin businesses that are going to build the roads that go into the facility. All those different types of things. So there is a lot of money on the line. But there are, of course, you know, questions. We, we had, during our news, we've been playing a question from uh, the sort of, financially challenged lawmaker, Christine Sinicki, who shouldn't be, if you look at her background, shouldn't be asking anybody questions about, you know, whether budgetary things work or not. But she's saying, well, what's the deal? You know, what what if Foxconn automates? And, of course, the the state is saying, well, the the, the expectation is that there's up to 13,000 jobs plus the automation. Now, there's no guarantee of that. There's no guarantee of that. But you have a number of the usual suspects who really don't want to see Paul Ryan or Scott Walker or Republicans in the legislature get credit for this big job creation thing so they are they're being they're trying to be guarded because most of them don't want to look really, really stupid if two years from now, you know, this is all gone according to plan, and you've got this huge explosion of, again, this big tech firm, and it's a winner. So they don't want to necessarily go out and say, we think it's a bad thing, because I guarantee you that will come up and and, and bite them on the behind. But they're out there, again, trying to be skeptical of this. Because they don't want to see Walker get credit, and I acknowledge also that there's some legitimate concerns. You know, is this all going to happen? In any event, as part of the hearings yesterday, um, one of the things that they were saying is addition, in addition to the ten B, as in billion dollars, that Foxconn is planning to spend to build the factory itself, um, they estimate that the Foxconn payroll will be up to $800 million a year. That's what the head of the Department Administration, uh, Secretary Scott Nitzel, is saying. You know, and he says, we can't let this opportunity pass us by. So he's saying, look, we've got to go ahead and pass this. In addition, you know, we've got to get this thing fast-tracked because every day we delay is a day further away from getting the whole process started. All right, four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that if you look at, okay, is Foxconn, we've talked about this before, is Foxconn the new Walmart? Are they going to be paying slave wages? Foxconn says the average wage is going to be $53,000 a year for workers with benefits. In addition, they're going to be making a multibillion-dollar commitment up front in order to build the plant. That's going to result in a huge, huge influx of money into the state for everybody around there that's going to have to, you know, build stuff. Now, I understand the skeptical thing that's out there today is some people are saying, well, you know, it might be when they go to um, the suppliers. Uh, Initially, you know, the suppliers aren't going to be local. Initially, the suppliers are going to be overseas shipping things in. And that's probably true initially. But once you get the plant up and running, if I'm somebody that's supplying goods to Foxconn, at some point in time, I'm going to want to cut out the shipping costs. And once the thing gets running... Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in the first year of operation, but it certainly makes sense to me that that business that is supplying stuff to Foxconn is going to be looking at, again, locating their facilities somewhere near Foxconn so you don't have to ship stuff from Taiwan. All four seven nine nine is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The, the more I hear about this... The more frustrated I get with some of the skeptics that are out there, I really don't think you can use the term game-changer too much in describing this deal. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. we discuss next. It's big thing number two, public hearings on Foxconn. I say go for it. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 917. It's 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. All right, the Foxconn process is fast-tracked. The hope is that all the approvals will be done by the end of next month. That is the end of September. So you can get the process of actually, I mean, they hope to break ground within a year. And they hope to have the at least first stages of this facility operating in three years. I think that's the the plan. So there's public hearings going on right now. Some people are being skeptical about it. But you know, one of the things they were saying yesterday is they anticipate that the payroll, when fully up to speed, will be up to eight hundred million dollars a year. Okay, so let's let's say that that's too rosy. Let's say that the payroll is going to be. $500 million a year. I mean, just just think of that, what that will mean for the people that are working at the facility, the people who are going to be paying state taxes on the income that they uh, earn, the people that are going to be going out and spending that money, you know, in the community at grocery stores and at events like the state fair or, or whatever. I mean, you want to talk about a shot in the arm economically to, you know, an area that candidly, I think, can use it to an extent. Now that would be this. And some of these politicians that are throwing a w- cold water on, I mean, if, if I'm Gwen Moore, for example, who represents one of the parts of the state of Wisconsin and one of the parts of the country where you have a huge unemployment problem, the new unemployment numbers are out, and unemployment is, uh, nationwide is like at a record low, not in Gwen Moore's district. You no, know, rather than saying, well, I don't know whether this is going to work. Same thing true for Mark Pocan, you know, who's co- who is the congressman out of Madison, who, you know, purportedly is supposed to care about about poor people and things like that, what I would be doing is instead of trying to pour cold water on the Foxconn deal, I would be trying to do everything I possibly could do to figure out a way to make sure that the unemployed people, for example, you know, living, oh, in Milwaukee, who need jobs, that you can figure out a way to get them some degree of training so that they might be able to apply for and get jobs at Foxconn, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Matt and Nina. Matt, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Good morning.
2: So I think it's important to for the uh, disseminators of information to be forthcoming and to clearly define for people what is a tax deferment uh, and, and what is you know something that would be like a grant, et cetera. And so I think that's where things get muddied up. Uh, that's one point. I would ask, though, that when considering this, and I'm all for it, that nothing can harm the property owners in the direct vicinity. Because in, I have an insurance company just posted record profits building a new multi-million-dollar facility almost in my backyard right now. Mm-hmm. And they were given a tremendous amount of money to do it. And while I'm I, I appreciate jobs and everything, it's gonna raise my property value according yeah. to my my municipality. And now so I, I'm giving tax dollars to put forth towards a company who's just posted wildly incredible profits. Yeah,
0: and well, now but, my but according- property
2: taxes will go up. And I don't think that's fair. I think I'm being double dipped in my instance and I would just ask that people be a little cautious and wary with regards to protecting the local property owners uh, that their right. property value rates don't go up and they're not heavily taxed on their property tax no rate.
0: Well, Matt, thanks for calling me. I, I guess that's a fair point. At, at the same time, the flip side is, and while nobody wants to see their property tax go up, if if the value of your property has gone up as a result of the, this business locating by it, yeah, your, your property tax goes up a little bit, but theoretically, I mean, rising property values as a general rule is a good thing. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but generally speaking, if if... The, if the land if my if my house has gone up in value legitimately gone up in value now sometimes again there's issues with the assessments but if my house has gone up in value fifty thousand dollars that means when i sell it or whatever i'm going to get that money back out of it so i mean it's it's as a general rule you want to see values go up now i do think it's going to be interesting once they announce and they're going to announce soon i'm being told where the actual location is uh i mean right now you have you have farmland and it 's going to be in some of these areas where there 's farmland farmland valued around seven thousand dollars an acre they 're going to be paying upwards of fifty thousand dollars an acre and again it 's tough for me i don 't know if, if i owned if I owned a facility, if I owned like five or ten acres or twenty acres that were worth seven thousand an acre, and now somebody 's automatically offering me seven times more than that. Um, I, I think most people are going to say, oh, that, that's that's a pretty darn good deal. And I understand there's going to be some holdouts, and you're going to see those stories in the paper. You know, somebody saying, okay, well, they, you know, they want to acquire my property, and I've, I've lived here, and I don't want to sell it even at $50,000 an acre. I appreciate that there's going to be some of those stories, but you always get some of those stories. Um, let's talk to Jeff in Delafield. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, how
1: are we doing this morning?
0: Real well, thank you. Okay, is this a good deal?
1: It's a great deal. As a matter of fact, uh, a large Japanese company put four million square foot outside of Houston where they could have gone anywhere on the planet, and the economic impact they're expecting is $3.9 annually to Houston. Those tier one suppliers will have to relocate, or their competitors will put a plant there next to this location. It's a boon all the way around.
0: Well, well, right, and and you're going to have the, the payroll, like I was saying earlier, you're going to have the payroll of all the different employers those different companies, and again, see, I'm with you, it only makes sense if I'm supplying all sorts of stu- stuff to Foxconn, um, why am I going to be shipping it from Taiwan, I'm going to locate close to Foxconn, so I-, I don't have those huge expenses, and you're right, if you don't do that, somebody else will build that better mousetrap, they'll locate closer, and they'll be able to provide the materials cheaper, because they don't have to ship it halfway across the world, it just makes sense to me.
1: Absolutely correct. And on top of that, it won't be just a couple of years of development. It'll be
0: decades of development. Yes. no. Thanks for the call. And, I mean, look, and I, I appreciate it, Jeff. I also understand there, there's always a degree of uncertainty. You know, you can say, and, I, I, you know, if you project out, where are we 20 or 30 years from now? Well, well, who knows? I mean, 20 years ago, if you ran, and I used this example the other day, if you ran a blockbuster video store, All right, it was a license to print money. Remember on Friday nights when the new movies came out on VHS tape? I'm dating myself. But on the the new VHS tapes came out, people would flock to the. There used to be a Blockbuster video store kind of by where I live at Bayshore Shopping Center. I'm telling you, you couldn't get into that parking lot on a Friday evening at 7 o'clock because everybody was in line, you know, waiting to buy the. waiting to get the uh, different things. You, You couldn't do that at all. Now. That things have changed, okay? Now, I mean, I understand there's still a couple video stores that are hanging out, although I don't think any of them rent VHS tapes. But, okay, the technology has changed. So that business model has changed. Can I guarantee you, you know, 20 years from now... They'll still be the same stuff with the phones. Young lady just stopped by and took a selfie (laughs) through our booth. Can I guarantee you that it's going to be the same 20 years from now? No, I, I can't. But I guess, is that a reason to say, okay, we've got this really big company and this really big business, and 20 years from now, okay, we don't know if it's still going to be as vital? No, that's to me... Not an excuse not to do it. Okay, Chris, on our text line, texts, I've worked in manufacturing for 20 years. This is a chance of a lifetime. They need to get the deal sealed. We live in a global economy and are basically being handed a money printing machine. Those who are opposed are only doing so because of Walker. If a Democrat was in power, this would be touted as a huge victory. I do I do think there's something to that. For the Gwen Moores and the Mark Pocans and the backbenchers and the state legislator, legislature who are saying, well, we need to go slowly. This is, this is tough. If this was Jim Doyle announcing this 10 years ago, all right, the, the same people would be at all the press conferences. They would be jumping up and down. Credit to Tom Barrett. Credit to Tom Barrett, he recognizes what this could be for the city of Milwaukee, even though it's not going to be directly located in the city of Milwaukee. And and he's out there saying, hey, this is great. He recognizes the potential of this. And seriously, if we're going to – I'm in favor of the downtown arena. But, but really, I think you can ultimately argue whether or not that $250 million in taxpayer money that we are contributing to build the downtown arena, is that going to have any major economic spin off or not? Maybe it will. Hope it will. But it, I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be negligible, although I support it. I think it's important to have uh, the NBA team in Milwaukee. There is no question at all that this Foxconn development, well, admittedly, a lot more than $250 million, but it's going to have a lot more of a dramatic impact on Wisconsin in general and southeastern Wisconsin in particular. Just do it. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. <laughs> Thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Just a cautionary. No, it, the, the weather is fine out here, but it, it's it's chilly. Um, it think it really is um, kind of more like. It's re- re- interesting. It's more like mid-October weather today, and there's a, it's made a little bit even chillier because there's about a 15- or 20-mile-an-hour wind seemingly coming from the west or the north. And I'm not discouraging people from coming out here. Matter of fact, you know, you walk around, it, it's just absolutely fine. If you're coming out, though, um, don't plan on it being a 90-degree day. You will be chilly. So most people out here are in sweatshirts or jackets or things like that, and it, it's absolutely fine. So just, just be prepared. Um, it's dry, which is important. Um, how close is Foxconn to naming a location? Could it be somewhere else outside of Racine or Kenosha County? John Mercure shares some new information at 420 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. That's live from the State Fair, sponsored by one of my favorite places, Grebe's Bakery. All right, big story number three. Now, we started off the program talking about the news that there had been a grand jury now impaneled to investigate the Trump campaign and ties to the Russians and whatever else they might want to look at. Here's another story that represents the flip side. Yesterday morning, the Washington Post uh, broke, quote unquote, broke a story. They released transcripts of telephone conversations that President Trump had with um, the president of Mexico and the prime minister of Australia. And, And the purpose of Releasing the – and the spin was given to the stories was an effort to try to embarrass the Trump administration because apparently during the conversation with the president of Mexico, they, they started talking about the wall, and President Trump was saying, look, you've you got to stop saying – that there's no way that Mexico is going to pay for the wall, this is going to cause me problems, you know, internally, politically, and we'll figure out a way to work it out. So that's what the Washington Post was trying to do there. The conversation with the Australian prime minister apparently was a very kind of tense, nasty one, where they were arguing about immigration, and uh, at the end it was a very abrupt ending. So the ways in the Washington Post publishes these is to, I, I think, again, try to embarrass the president. The reason these conversations were leaked to the Washington Post was clearly in an effort to try to embarrass the president. Well, here's where it gets interesting. Uh, These were these conversations. And what happens is that when the president has phone calls like this, the recall, the calls are apparently monitored and transcripts are made. The transcripts are then circulated to, you know, various people with a need to know, various people in the White House and the White House staff and and other people. I mean, here's the President of the United States talking to a foreign leader, and so the idea is people who are presumably going to be making decisions involving that country or whatever have access to what is said, all right? These documents, these transcripts, were subsequently classified as at least secret and maybe more. I I don't know exactly what the classification level was but they were classified, apparently by the um, head of the National Security Administration. So it is a crime to take classified information and to knowingly and willfully communicate, furnish, or transmit this information to um, an unauthorized person. Um, That's a violation of the law. Um, It's not treason in and of itself. There is a treason statute, but for treason, you have to do this, you have to take classified information, you have to do something with the active intent to hurt the United States. There's a simpler statute which simply says, if you've got access to classified information and you knowingly and willfully disseminate this, and the key there is that you know it's classified, and that you know that you are again disseminating it. Maybe it's something like, hey, if you've got a classified document in your briefcase and your briefcase is stolen and somebody gets a hold of it, you know, ha- have you knowingly and willfully disseminated it? No. But clearly, if you've got a transcript of a conversation that's classified and you know it's classified, and you call up a reporter from the Washington Post or the New York Times or whatever, and you give it to them, you have committed a a crime. In addition, um, it, it is theoretically possible that you could go after the journalists who publish that, but that's not likely, and that's not, I think, where their attention is. The attention and the concern is that you've got people in the administration who, for whatever reason, have access to these classified documents, regardless of what they are and have decided to disseminate them because, do they want to curry favor with the reporters? I don't know. Do they want to embarrass the Trump administration? You know, who knows? Or is this the deep state people like the Obama people who are working in the State Department who just don't like Trump and want to embarrass him? You know, who knows what they're doing? But they are, in fact, apparently doing these leaks. So the Trump administration has been very, very concerned about this for quite a while. You have a new chief of staff, four star former four-star general John Kelly, who is trying to impose some discipline into the White House, and now the issue becomes, what do you do to try to plug these leaks? Should the Justice Department be conducting aggressive investigations into who's doing this? And how do you conduct those investigations? Where do you start? Well, you start by impaneling a grand jury, like we were talking about less than an hour ago, impaneling a grand jury, and you start pulling, for example, phone records, all right, this was the reporter who, you know, broke the story. Somebody leaked him to him. Let's look at the fo- let's look at his phone records. Let's look at where who he was calling and, you know, where calls were coming from to the extent we can figure that out. And if we see gee, you know, two days before the leak, there was an exchange of phone calls, just theoretically, between the reporter and somebody, oh, gee, we recognize that number, and that's somebody who works at the State Department. That at least, at least gives you a start to knowing that, okay, that, that might be who the leaker is. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. I don't care whether this is George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan or Barack Obama, or Donald Trump. Leaking classified information is a big deal. I think it undermines national security. I think individuals who have access to that classified information have an obligation not to release that information. And when they do, they have committed a crime, and I think they deserve to be rooted out at the very least, fired. At the very least, fired. And if it turns out that the elements of the crime, that they did it knowingly and willfully, I think that he should be prosecuted. So um, I'm all in favor of the Attorney General just saying, okay, we're going to assign a couple prosecutors to try to figure out where the leaks of classified information are coming from. And I want to be real clear here. I'm talking about classified information and then going after him. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should we be investigating and trying to prosecute the leakers? Or, hey, you know, it's just Donald Trump. So he had some calls that embarrassed him. So this might be some embarrassing calls. Yeah, we hate Trump. Let's just put this all out there. He gets what he deserves. Or is the bigger picture the fact that people who work for government, who have access to classified information, shouldn't be sharing it? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I say, investigate them, fire them, prosecute them. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 944-Jeff Wagner, 620-WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How does a company's mission affect the way they attract and keep top talent? Rick Rich Musen, the CEO of Badger Meter, who is a great guy, gives his philosophy on this when he joins the folks at Milwaukee in the latest edition of the Intersection of People and Place podcast. It's up now online at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app when you're at that page, be sure to check out all the different podcasts they download. We podcast my entire program, and I know lots of people download that, so please check it out. Um, huh The story is that after the Washington Post runs this story on apparently somebody with access to the information, somebody with access to the transcripts of these phone conversations that president trump had with the president of mexico and with the australian prime minister had access to the transcripts and decided to give them to the washington post these in this information was classified so this isn't just like hey there was somebody that was sitting in a meeting and heard some stuff and decides that they want to run to the reporters this is somebody who had access to classified information if it turns out that they knew it was classified and let's be honest They obviously had to. And they made the decision to leak it anyways. That is a federal crime. At the very least, they should be fired. I don't want people working in this government who take their responsibilities with handling classified information so cavalierly. I don't want people making the decision, gee, um, I, I I know that this is classified, but you know what? I, I don't think there's really anything in it other than the fact that it makes Trump look arguably bad or like a bully or whatever, so I'm going to make the decision to disseminate that. That's not the role of people. And for anybody who thinks that perhaps there's a degree of paranoia in the Trump administration over this stuff and over what they call the deep state, which is the embedded long-serving public employees who have no loyalty and have a dislike of Trump and are willing to do everything they can to undermine him, this just gives fuel to that fire. I mean, somebody made the decision to leak these documents. I think it is very, very warranted to conduct an investigation. And here's where it is going to be controversial, because the starting point in this is that you're going to start pulling records of, of journalists, and they don't like that. But that's what you're going to have to do. I mean, if I was running an investigation like this, my the first thing that I would be doing is I'd go to I'd find out, you know, what the reporter's desk line is, what the reporter's cell phone number is, and and I'd start. I'd start looking at records, see, were there calls from somebody at the State Department, were there calls from somebody at the White House on their cell phone, how exact, I mean, that's just a starting point, I'm whether that leads you to anything or not, I, I don't know, but that's the type of thing that you would look at, I'm not suggesting that the journalist be prosecuted, but I am suggesting that you have to identify and prosecute uh, the leaker. Um, let's see, our text line is just exploding on this. Mitch says, no wonder thought he was, Trump thought he was being wiretapped. Shouldn't he be able to communicate sensitive information with other heads of state without every word being monitored? Well, again, they, they monitor this. There's a legitimate reason for monitoring the calls because you know people need to know what's said because you have people that, uh, again, are going to be trying to set policy with Mexico or things like that. So to me, the concern isn't the monitoring. The concern is... The fact that these are classified documents and people decide they can disseminate them. Sam writes, prosecute them. Even a simple school board position requires no blabbing on various issues. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's exactly what the case is. Let's see. Um, Dan texts: If people engage in leaking classified information, they should be fired and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. End of story. I, I mean, I I just think again that's simple regardless of where you stand on whether you support Donald Trump or not. And I want to tell you, I would be consistent. I have been consistent with this. When you had people in the Obama administration or people who worked in the government that were leaking classified information during that period of time, my position has been consistent. You prosecute the people that do it. You cannot allow people to get away with this. And, you know, if, you, if it turns out, if it turns out that it's some of the deep state people or if it turns out that for whatever reasons it's various aides who are involved in some sort of in- internal power struggle or if it just turns out that it's somebody who's trying to curry favor with the reporter, I don't care. They shouldn't be working for the government and they should probably be in jail. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes, if you can only drive 55 Get out of the left lane. It's an interesting story. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 952 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are at the Wisconsin State Fair. The Sikh Temple shooting in Oak Creek occurred five years ago this weekend. And yet today, there is still one man fighting for his life after the injuries he sustained that Saturday. Hear his story during a special edition of Scafidi and Bilstadt, 135 this afternoon. The guys will be out here broadcasting live from the State Fair as well. You know, it's interesting when when we talk about the, the, the Trump administration. We, we talk about, well, the, the, his stylistic things, not so much substance, but style. We talk about, oh, okay, we, we weren't able to get, like, health care reform done right now. We haven't had massive tax reform, all those different types of things, and that's correct. But, you know, lost in, in this discussion is at the end of the day. How's that for a cliche? At the end of the day, what a lot of voters care about, their mo- number one voting issue is the economy how are how are you doing how How does your retirement portfolio look? Um, do you have a job? Do you feel secure in your job i mean because that that 's where it all starts um it 's the economic security and I understand there's all sorts of other issues ranging from how you feel about abortion to you know the whole issue of national security to how you feel about this or that. I, I get that there's all sorts of things that go into deciding. You know, who you're going to vote for, things like that. But at the end of the day, it goes back to something that Bill Clinton said when he was running for office, and that is, it's the economy, stupid. You know, if, 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 you, if you feel good about, if you've got money in the bank and you feel secure in your job, well, okay, chances are that you're going to be happier with the way things are going. And one of the things that has been lost over the course of the last few months is the stock market has continued, number one, to be on a tear. Stock market is up 11% so far this year. The Dow Jones Industrial um, hit over 22,000 yesterday, closed over 22,000. And again, I mean, a zero number is just a zero number. But still, it's psychologically significant. This has been an incredible bull run in the stock market that goes on and on. And today you get job numbers which are really really incredible US payrolls surged for the second straight month in July employers added about 209,000 jobs and almost all of those jobs were in the private sector almost all of those jobs were in the private sector so that that says that even though you have we are approaching historically low periods of unemployment. I mean, unemployment rate fell from 4.4% to 4.3%. And, and you're starting to get to historically low points. There is always what I call structural unemployment. Structural unemployment is, there's always going to be some people that are between jobs. It's like, all right, I'm, I, I've left, uh, I, I've taken off um, uh, I've got time between one job and another, so I, I'm not working. There's always going to be 1% or 2% that's going to be that structural unemployment, but you've got unemployment that is now down to 4.3%. And despite the fact that you, you have a tight labor market, you, you have jobs that are surging. The experts, quote-unquote, thought that they were going to be looking at about 180,000 180, jobs. It, it's come in at 209,000 in July Average wages rose just a little bit, um, but still, even though it's a tight labor market, you have more and more people going to work. You have more and more people with opportunities to work, and you have more and more people who have invested. And, again, I understand some people here in the stock market, oh, that's just for the big guys. Well, okay, if you've got any money at all in a 401K plan or something like that, no, that's you too. You are a big guy in that regard. So, with, with despite all the angst and we talk about the Russia, Russia, Russia investigation or this or that or the other thing the truth of the matter is at the end of the day it's the economy stupid and you cannot I don't think anybody can reasonably argue that big picture macro picture the economy is going great guns alright when we come back if you can only drive 55 you better get out of the left lane I'll tell you all about it it's 958 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ It's 10.07. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us as we broadcast live from the Wisconsin State Fair. A little bit chilly outside today, but a very, very attractive crowd, including a couple of our young listeners, all right, who are all set. I love the sweatshirt. Cutest Wisconsin State Fair. I'm telling you. You got it there. Uh, just absolutely. I just. It's great being out at State Fair. And if you're stop, if you're coming by, stop by our broadcast facility and say hi. Hey, we've got the weekend review coming up. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the ladies are going to be out here. They're going to be joining me at the State Fair. Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson will be in our fishbowl facility. That's about uh, around eleven thirty. All right. I, I admit. See, I, I tend not to be plagued by road rage. I, I don't. I, I, one of the things, and I talk about this a lot, is as you drive, particularly in the city of Milwaukee, but also in other places. I, I am I am always appalled by the amount of reckless driving, and we've talked about that a lot. The the people that blow through red lights, the people that drive ninety miles an hour in the right lane, the people that just um, I, I don't I don't even see. I don't think it's conscious discourtesy. I just think that they just don't don't care. And I, I from a safety perspective, I talk about that. So. This doesn't relate to that, but I admit it is one of my big pet peeves when it comes to driving. I do um, I do a bunch of freeway driving now. I mean just around the area. I mean not like interstate or things like that. But I will admit it has become my pet peeve. And it's I would describe it as the left lane hoggers, the the, the fast lane slow pokes. I always was taught that the right lane is for driving, the left lane is for passing. In other words, slower traffic, stay right. And I cannot tell you, on an almost daily basis, if I'm on the freeway, uh, one of the things that I see is I see people who decide that they want to hog the left lane, drive in the left lane not just to pass, but to drive. And in many cases, the people who do this decide to drive just at or below the speed limit, blocking the left lane, which causes all sorts of congestion and, which in my opinion, contributes to at least some of, number one, ro- one number one road rage, but number two, also some of this reckless driving is people try to weave in and out to get around them, much of which would go away if you just... Again, drove in the right lane, passed in the left lane, and then as soon as it's safe, get back over to the right. Now, I understand there's some people who think, well, as long as I am driving at or slightly above the speed limit, what difference should it make what lane I'm driving in? And, gee, there's somebody coming up who's driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm going to make them slow down. Well, that's what the cops are there for. The cops are the ones that are there to try to pull people over if they are, in fact, speeding. And, I again, I think if you look at the real cause of the majority of accidents, it's not necessarily speed, necessarily, but it is speed combined with back and forth as you're trying to, in many cases, get around the left lane slow post. Now, I bring this up because Nevada, of all places, has just passed a new law. Now, the, the law actually has been very, very watered down. But it's a law that says that motorists on a highway with two or more lanes cannot keep driving in the left lane if they know or should know that they are impeding the flow of traffic. Now, So that's the way that it's presented. The idea is to try to alert slower traffic to move to the right. Now, the way this law was originally proposed, it was going to be a, a misdemeanor. You get a ticket for doing this. Um, actually, they've watered it down, and now you don't get a ticket for it. You just, If you do it more than once, you get sent to driver's school, which essentially is, is kind of like a slap on the wrist. But you know what? I, I'm looking at this, and not only, not only do I think people should be sent to driver's school, but I think this should be a ticketable offense. 414-799-1620, that is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit that this is a pet peeve of mine, but I, I think about all the occasions when you're on that, that two-lane highway, the speed limit is 65 or 70, and you have somebody driving in the left lane at 65 or 66 or 70 or 71. And the argument is, well, if I'm going the speed limit, what difference, what lane does it make that I'm driving in? Well, the point is... Left lanes are for passing, right lanes are for driving. Would you support, I sure would, would you support something like this saying, hey, if you're cruising in the left lane um, and you're blocking traffic, yeah, you should get a ticket. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess, and, and again, there's there's nuances with how this is employed. employed. I mean, I understand that if you're passing, you need to have a reasonable opportunity to get over to the right lane. But what we're talking about, what they're trying to identify in this law, is the left-lane hoggers, the left-lane cruisers, not the people that, gee, it's heavy traffic, there's lots of cars that are here, because in that case, you're not really impeding traffic if you're moving with the flow of of traffic. What this is, it's designed to identify those hardcore people that they're deciding, I want to drive in the left lane, and I don't care if I block traffic. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talking Text Line, Let's start with Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I, I, I am well. Would you support a law like this?
1: Absolutely. I'm on the road a lot, and I'm on the highway system a lot, and it is, like you, a huge pet peeve. <laughs> people slow down traffic, they go 50, they go 45. you got everybody in the left lane trying to pass them, and like you said, the weeding in and out, it does create problems.
0: Well, well, right, because what ends up happening then is you're you're trying to get by the left lane slowpoke, and so as as soon as you get like a little gap, that's when you'll kind of swerve back in the right lane to get past them. If they would just get over, it wouldn't be a problem.
1: I, I agree, in fact, that I am guilty of weaving and doing that on occasion, and quite frankly at times it creates some road rage.
0: Right. No. exactly. No, thanks for the call. See, that, I mean, that's it. And again, it's, what's so frustrating is a lot of the, some of the left lane hoggers will tell you, well, you know, what I mean, as long as I'm driving, if the speed limit's 55, if I'm going 55, I should have the right to drive in either one of those lanes. No, no, no. If you're going 55, get over, get out of the way. And don't worry if the car behind you is going 65. That's not what you should be caring about. If the cops want to pull that person over for speeding, well, then that's, that's the cop's problem. 414-799-1620 is the number. BD is back at the studio lining up more calls. If you're on the line, hold on. We continue the conversation. Nevada makes it illegal to drive below the speed limit in the left lane. They water down the penalties. I think this is a great law, though. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. It's 1015. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 10:18. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. What was it like to be in the middle of the chaos in 2012 while trying to keep a city calm? John McCure has a story live from inside the story from inside Oak Creek at 3:20 today during Wisconsin's afternoon news. He's going to be out here broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Let's talk to John and Dousman. John, good morning. Hi, John.
1: I I kind of disagree with you in some respect. I'm, not, you know, I know it is a, a pain and stuff when you're following someone down the road uh, and they're going really slow in the left lane. However, aren't you enc- encouraging or sanctioning cocaine speed for persons going 70 miles an hour in a 70 mile hour speed limit or a little over? You, he's supposed to move over for someone who's breaking the law.
0: Well, is it but is it my job to enforce the law? I mean if, I've, if look, if I've decided that I'm willing to take the risk and I want to drive I want to set my cruise control at like 75 or 76, understanding that maybe if a police officer wants to pull me over, that's the, the risk I'm going to run, um, is it the job of the guy in front of me in the left lane saying I want to stop people from speeding so I'm going to drive 69 I mean is that really their role?
1: No, but I'm saying if the person's doing the speed limit or better, there's really no reason to pass. I mean, uh, mm. if you ride in a right lane and you want to, like you said, you for driving in a right lane, you do a lot more weaving in and out of the right lane because of very slow traffic.
0: Well, I guess, I see. I, I mean, thanks for the call. I guess this is where I disagree with you. I, I think that if, I, I think, again, left lane is for passing, right lane is for, right lane is for driving. And I guess I don't think... I don't think it's necessarily – I understand you say it's 70 miles an hour, so I should be able to cruise in whichever lane I want. All I can say is I think just as a, as a matter of practice, there's lots of people that moderately exceed the speed limit, and you take your risk that you could get pulled over by the police. But here here's what happens. The vast majority of people, they're going to be the ones that are weaving around. I just don't think it's an individual driver's responsibility to decide, I'm going to try to slow up traffic. I'm going to drive 69 or 70 in the 70-mile-an-hour zone, and if I back up traffic, well, I'm – I'm doing God's work because I'm going to try to force everybody to stay at the speed limit. Let the police do that. Get over. And candidly, I don't think there's any reason to drive in the left lane. Uh, to hog the left lane unless you're trying to be a jerk. And there's just no way I, c- I can say it otherwise. Unless sh- Now, look, and I understand sometimes there's issues that you, you, you have trouble getting over. Sometimes maybe the road is really crummy in the right lane, and so, you know, you're, you don't want to bump along. And I, and I understand there might always be exceptions to this. But as a general rule, if you want to drive at or below the speed limit, just get in the left lane. Get in the right lane. Let other people pass. Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Jeff. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. What do you think about these left-lane slowpokes?
1: Well, I'm behind one now. Uh, So I have (laughs) two comments. A few comments before you cut me off. I agree with the law, but unlike the other callers, I'd like to suggest three things. One, can we get uh, a sign-up? So that we could send to a legislator to change our law, nobody suggested that. Right. If you would like to start that, I think that would be good. That we could somehow have an online sign on, and we can send it to the appropriate legislator. Nobody there,
0: Number one. Okay.
1: Number two. If that law passes, the sheriff will be in traffic versus sitting on the side of the road trying to monitor it, making people slow down below the speed limit when they don't have to, which is good. And the third thing is, I would like to see, as I stated before, the last comment, I would like to see a pace car. In other words, that people see this car in traffic, it's a sheriff, not to slow down, but which you follow. And those three things, I think, would help. But can you please start a petition drive? online well, electronically we could send a legislator could you help us
0: with well well, well, th- well well thanks for the call i i, I mean i'll i'll think about that I'm, I'm not big for the petition drives um thanks to call I, i'm i'm bigger with when I have a chance to interview or talk to the legislature, just saying, "Hey, how do you feel about this particular issue?" and then letting the constituents call. So I'm, I'm not so much for the petition drive. You know, you see so much of that. But um, I, I tell you what, next time I have an opportunity to be talking to some of the people that have the power to make those decisions, including you know my many of my friends in the state legislature, oh, legislature, I'm very glad to bring that particular issue up. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Henry in Kenosha. Henry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: morning to you, Jeff.
0: What do you think?
2: My, my pet peeve as well. I ride a sport bike, which is a motorcycle akin to a Ferrari. And I remember back in the day of the national 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, and I was behind one of these people. And once I passed her in middle lane, she's still in the left, and I got back in front of her. I can see her in my mirror flashing her fists at me. 55. <laughs> 55. Right. So I... Uh, I uh, flashed her back, and my signal could be represented by
0: 11. <laughs> so that is my pet peeve. Thank you for this. Uh, you know, no, th- thanks, for, th- thanks for the call. You were giving her the one-fingered salute. But, see, this is one of the things that contributes, I, I think, to road rage. And, and I understand the people who are driving 56 in the fifty mile 55-mile-an-hour lane say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm entitled to this. No, I mean I just think entitled. it's a simple matter of I, thanks for the call. Entitled. Yeah, entitled. I, I think it's just a simple matter of again, courtesy. Um, just, just get over. Wouldn't the world be a better place? Now, okay, we're broadcasting live from the State Fair, and it is it's chilly out here. I mean, that's just the truth. Don't you know if you're coming out? I mean, just bring a jacket, bring a sweatshirt and stuff. But one of the things that I've been noticing is a lot more coffee as opposed to beer. Got a couple people sitting outside the booth. They're into the beer stuff. So. That's right, and they've got the canned koozies as well, so got to keep it cold, even though it's whatever it is, right, or keep your hands warm. Exactly. All right, we're broadcasting live from the State Fair. Lots of stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. It's 1024. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in just a couple minutes. Should you be willing to move to where the jobs are. It's a really interesting concept, and we're going to be talking about that. Um, Battle over gun safety courses being taught in public schools and a lot more, so stick around. Um, As long as we're talking about pet peeves and and auto safety and things like that, there was really an interesting story in USA Today yesterday about seatbelt usage, and this is, I understand whenever I talk about this, that there are, you, you might disagree with me on it um, because I, I'm typically not a, a big government guy and I'm not a government regulation type of guy. That being said, I have always supported seatbelt laws because you know, just candidly, it's a simple thing that saves Lives. And I know that there's somebody out there somewhere who's got the story saying, hey, I know somebody who knew somebody who dated someone who had a cousin that was involved in an automobile collision, and um, they'd be dead if they were wearing a seatbelt, but because they weren't wearing the seatbelt, they survived. And, and I understand anecdotally those are those stories that are out there. But the reality is, automobiles are safer now than ever. But the reason that they are safer is because you have all these different safety things that all work together. And it all starts with the seatbelt. If you're not wearing your seatbelt, you become essentially a human missile in the, the car. Um, we're, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of Princess Diana's death. Right, she's in the back seat of the car, she's not buckled in. Now, if she had been wearing a seatbelt, with a shoulder harness, she would have had a bruised chest. Instead, she becomes a missile in the car. She ends up being dead. You know, and, that's, and I guess that's that's just the thing. To me, and and when I first started driving a long time ago, I acknowledge I, I was like, ah, who needs to wear a seatbelt? It's confining. And then after, I, I think it was like the first vehicular homicide case I investigated um, when I went to work for the U.S. Attorney's Office, a case off the Menominee Indian Reservation, and I saw the picture. It just convinced me, okay, all right, you know, time to... You know, time to wear seat seat, seat belts, and so I, I, that's why I've always believed in this. And if you need a law to try to encourage people to do the right thing to make it safer, I, I've always been in favor of that. Because the reality is, again, if you're not wearing the seat belt, you take away all the auto safety things. Plus, if you look at why most people die, it's because they're ejected from the car, and you're not going to be ejected from the car if you're wearing a seat belt. Well, interesting story. Even though seat belt usage is up in general. What they're finding is there's still an alarming number of people, not the drivers necessarily, but the backseat passengers who make the decision that they're not going to drive the vehicle. Now, under Wisconsin law, I mean, all passengers, and we're not just talking about kids. Obviously, kids have to be in their child restraint seats. But um, under the law... Wisconsin residents um, in the rear seat you know, have to be belted in a- as well, and it's the driver's obligation to make sure that that happens. And yet if you look at this study, what they are finding is that um, vast majorities or a large number of people, an alarmingly large number of people, simply if they're sitting in the back seat of the car or you're in an Uber vehicle or you're in a taxi, people choose not to buckle themselves in. Unlike if they are in fact the driver, and what they're finding is that um, you know, hey, even you know, even in crashes, thirty-five miles an hour or so, you know, you become this human missile if you're sitting in the back seat not wearing the seatbelt. So, again, the cautionary tale is: the law in Wisconsin says you're supposed to do it. The law in Wisconsin says that the drivers are supposed to encourage you or make you do it. It's just good sound policy. So don't. Again, I'm I'm preaching a little bit. If you're driving slow, get out of the left lane. And if you're in a car sitting in the back seat, for goodness sakes, buckle up. I want you around listening to this program for years to come. 35. Jeff Wagner, 620. WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair, and it is, um, again, it, it's it's very cool out here. Um, it, it's it's downright chilly, I would say, and that's not to discourage anybody from coming out. It's just to simply say, um, if you're coming out, um, I just I bring certainly a sweatshirt or certainly a jacket because it's a little little bit chilly out here. A lot of people out here enjoying the State Fair. Um, Plus, you can go into the buildings. You can warm up. But normally, it's the other way around. Normally, we're talking about, hey, it's 100 degrees outside. Don't worry. There's plenty of air conditioning. Now, it's kind of the opposite effect. But actually, uh, come out and enjoy the State Fair. And if you do, please be sure and stop by our broadcast facility. This week, WTMJ.com has featured stories, exclusive audio, photo galleries, and much more as we reflect on five years since the Sikh Temple shooting. It all leads up to this Sunday night special, Oak Creek, five years later, beginning at 8 p.m. Sunday, right here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. All right. Um, Yesterday, the the big hearing, of course, was on Foxconn. But there was another hearing in Washington, in Washington, in, in Madison, that generated a lot of controversy. Now, a couple weeks ago, a handful of Republican legislators sponsored a bill. Now, I hope you're sitting down, because maybe you're going to be shocked by this. Sponsored a bill which would allow schools... ...to offer on-site gun education classes in order to promote gun safety and to boost participation, like in the shooting clubs. Now, the bill wouldn't change a current law that prohibits live ammunition and its use on school property. The bill also would not require the schools to offer a class. So a local school district that doesn't want to teach firearm safety wouldn't be obligated to do that. However... The bill would require school superintendents to develop curricula. So the, the idea is um, we're going to have a consistent firearm safety class. Um, under the bill, the curriculum development would be done in conjunction with either the Department of Natural Resources, a law enforcement agency, or an organization that specializes in firearm safety or certification of firearms. The bill would also require the classes be taught by people who have proof of previous training in firearm safety. So, again, the idea here is we, we want to encourage, again, people to get involved in these shooting clubs, but also, especially in a concealed carry era, we we want, to, you know, we want to start educating people about firearm safety at an early age. And one of the key things to this is, again, to mention, it wouldn't be mandatory. You know, a school district, for example, MPS, would not have to offer this class. But if they did offer the class, they would be required to at least develop some curricula so that, you know, we have, there's a standardized curriculum, so if they choose to offer it, they could do that. Well, all right, this, you have a number of Democrats who just went hair on fire, El Fuego, you know, yesterday, uh, about this, Um, in opposition to this this bill. Um, The argument was... Let's see. One state representative said, well, you know, e- even though they're not using live ammunition, no teacher, no janitor, no student knows for a fact that a gun, you know, isn't loaded. There's so many problems with this. Some other representative said, well, students could hide ammunition in their bags and, and loading their guns in school. This isn't well thought out. Oh, this is terrible. Um, this is one of these ideas that's going to promote violence in the schools. Right. right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that you have certain people that are going to try to pander to various constituencies. I, I get it. But at the same time, doesn't there need to be some link to reality? I mean, here, if you are going to have firearm safety courses, and, and by the way, School districts now can create their own firearm safety courses. This is just one which that there's going to be a standardized course. School districts don't have to offer it, but if they decide they want to, all right, these are the elements that are going to be contained in it. If you teach firearm safety in the schools, some people seem to suggest that that will make the schools more dangerous. Like somebody, some kid who wants to bring a gun to school and do a Columbine type of thing, they're going to use the guise of a firearm safety class to do it. I just think that makes no sense at all. I think that, again, I I understand maybe there's some districts that don't want to teach firearm safety. Candidly, I think it's got a lot more relevance than a lot of the different optional courses that are out there. And I don't think school districts should have to offer it. But, you know, if they do offer it, Wouldn't you like to know it's consistent? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I see absolutely nothing wrong with this. And all these people who are the chicken littles running around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, I I think, candidly, they do themselves a huge disservice. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sam in Elgin, Illinois. Sam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Jeff. How you doing?
0: I am well, thank you, sir. What do you think about this?
3: I think these people that think this is a terrible idea, which I don't, I think it's great, um, are the same people that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago would think sex education was such a terrible idea. Instead of teaching our kids and having them try to fumble through it and figure it out on their own, they're going to let these kids, you know, they don't want these kids to actually learn it from an adult who maybe has the experience you know, has the ability to show them the right way to handle, you know, these sort of adult things, whether it be mm-hmm. sex education or a firearm or that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I want to uh, – I mean, if we just stay focused on firearms, I mean, I guess I just – Given the fact that firearms are a part of our world nowadays, given the fact that we live in this concealed carry world, I just don't see the downside of, again, exposing people to, again, a firearm safety course. You're not talking about using live ammunition. And, you know, maybe it will interest people in some, like, the activities like trap shooting or something like that. It's, to me, it's just a win-win situation all around.
3: Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, here, I live in Illinois, and there is some hunting... But when I lived in Wisconsin, I know hunting is a huge deal. And to get these kids on board early to learn the safety of it, if these guns are going to be around anyway, I don't, I don't see how that's a bad idea.
0: Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. All right. Now, on my text line, Paul texts, guns invite violence. Huh. Guns invite violence. So the idea being, I assume, that if you expose kids in school To a gun safety class, that is going to invite violence. Well, okay, what about the hunter safety classes? I mean, we... we we teach, what at, what, at the age of 12 or maybe even younger, you know, we allow kids to go in and have the hunter safety classes where they are exposed to wait for it. I mean, they're exposed to hunting and they're exposed to guns. I mean, the the, the argument guns invite violence, with all due respect, I think is stupid. I mean, it might be a wonderful bumper sticker, but the truth is, I mean, I don't think guns invite violence. Um There are plenty of legitimate uses for firearms. Now, does that mean that violent criminals use guns? Sure, I I, I get it. But does that mean that saying, okay, here is how you safely handle a firearm, does that mean that we shouldn't teach that to kids? Do you think that those kids are never going to um, have access to guns? Huh. Um, let's see. Um, Mitch writes, gun safety classes leading to gun recklessness makes as much sense as driver's ed leading to reckless driving. All right. Now, um, we have another text. It says, no money for science or math, but yes for guns. Laugh out loud. All right. Nobody is requiring the schools to do this. And look, if, if your argument to me is we need to concentrate more on on the basics, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, I'm not going to argue that. But if you want to Again, there's a lot of really ridiculous electives that get taught in schools. So if you want, and again, the school district shouldn't have to do this, but if the school district says, hey, you know, we think that there's an interest in this type of thing, and we think that, you know, the community would like it, why shouldn't they be allowed to offer this? And if you're going to teach it, why shouldn't there be something that's standardized with this regard? Dan texts, I learned how to handle firearms in the Army, but not everyone gets that experience. To use a classic Democrat talking point, if it only saves one child's life... Um, let's talk to Ken in Milwaukee. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Very well. Now, this is State Representative Ken Skoronsky who is one of the authors of this bill, right?
3: Yeah, I'm the author of the bill, along with uh, uh, a representative uh, uh, that is very prominent, and uh, you know him. Uh,
0: Joel Clayfish.
3: Uh, absolutely. I wanted you to say it. Yeah,
0: he's great Okay. <laughs> Got yeah.
3: it. Yeah. Okay. We're now, far, so very sports-minded. Uh, and uh, we think it's a good bill. It's a bill to teach firearm safety. And uh, it's so important to to help the younger folks and give them that education. It's an elective course. It's not mandatory. We're trying to standardize it uh, in the school system, in the high schools, where you have a lot of teams that are doing it now, but they cannot have that within the school system. And we think that's kind of foolish.
0: Well, right. And now th- there's some people that would argue, Representative, that this is going to encourage gun violence. And, and if you expose children to firearm safety, what's going to happen is, I don't know, more columbines or something like that.
3: No, no, that is so off the wall, it's unbelievable. Uh, the students that want to do that, uh, they, they have found that this is a... Uh, uh an activity that they hear about, their friends are doing it and they would like to try it. This is sport shooting. It's not necessarily hunting but if they have the advantage of taking the 100 safety courts, by God, go ahead and do it. I'm an instructor for almost 20 years of doing that but this particular thing gives that student uh, an opportunity to say, hey, geez, I like this. This is pretty good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we go out with our friends and uh, it breaks down barriers when you have all the the athletes and everything else uh i i was very lucky to be out in uh colorado springs at the olympic training village mm-hmm. uh for uh what they call bunker shooting which is trap shooting and ski shooting and uh it was just absolutely we had a team from burlington and a team from waterford out there trying for the time trials mm-hmm. and it was really great uh the parents were along. Great stuff, but I Can, think we, we let need, me yeah, go
0: ahead. let me ask you this: Who do you envision would be who would be teaching these courses? So, if a school district decides we want to go along with this, we want to adopt the curricula. Who who would be who do you envision would be te- the teachers?
3: We would have set of certified and accredited uh, firearm safety and uh, sport shooting uh, credentials for the individual do, uh, that would teach those courses, voluntary basis would be there to teach them the right way. And there are so many of them around, retired police officers, uh, right. Army instructors, good qualified people on uh, would be able to do that.
0: Right. And, and one of the key points, and you alluded to it earlier and I was talking about it as well, this bill wouldn't mandate that school systems offer this course. It would just provide a standardized curriculum if the school district chose to do this, right?
3: Absolutely. It's not mandatory. It's uh, elective. And we're even saying if you take the course, there should be a possibility because if you went through it to get a half a credit, a credit, uh, to do this. And we're, uh, what we're doing is taking samples of the courses that are already in place throughout the country. And we're, uh, somewhat very in of the Arizona course. Uh, there's, uh, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, have these courses. Uh, Louisiana has them. And they're very successful, and there are no incidents of anybody getting hurt.
0: Um, yeah, th- th- thanks so much for the call. Thanks for joining us, uh, Representative. Yeah, that's Ken Skoronsky who is one of the authors of the bill. Uh, again, this just it, it, it makes sense to me to, to at least standardize something like this, and that's. You know, that's one of the keys. He represents Franklin and Greenfield and Green Deal Dale and that, that kind of that, that sort of area. Again, this makes sense. It's not mandatory. School districts don't have to have it. But if you want to offer it, what's what's wrong with this? Just saying, we are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair, it's ten forty nine, this is Jeff Wagner. It's 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Five years since the city of Oak Creek was thrust into the national spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Um, Later today, hear from some of the voices of those who were most impacted by the Sikh Temple shooting in 2012. That is on Scafidi and beginning at 12 o'clock this afternoon. I've been getting a number of emails from, from people on something that was in the news yesterday, and I wanted to offer a comment or two. I just like I supported Miller Park, and I still have some of the psychological scars from some of you who opposed Miller Park and yelled at me, and are still mad at me for spo- supporting that years and years ago. I continu- and I continue to believe Miller Park has been a very very good investment. I supported the new downtown facility for the Bucks, two hundred fifty million dollars of taxpayer money matched by you know the Bucks. Um, I, I understand and appreciate the argument that should we be taking taxpayer dollars and building a facility that is for a team owned by billionaires um, for millionaire, multi-millionaire players, you know, uh, a facility that that the best seats most people probably aren't going to ever be able to afford. I get that argument. At at the same time, I, I thought I thought it was important for downtown Milwaukee to keep a professional basketball team, and I am hoping and i, I don 't know whether this is the case or not. I mean, I understand the argument um, historically the the impact of a sports facility on an area tends to be somewhat overstated but um, I, I also appreciate that I think having having a professional basketball team in Milwaukee, I think, is important. And while I, I don't know how much of a growth there's going to be in that area, I'm kind of excited about the plans. And I continue to think it's a good investment of $250 million. Maybe 10 years from now, I will be proved wrong. But, I, again, I, I think it's good. And, candidly, if we're going to put $250 million into a downtown arena um, that may or may not have spillover benefits, Benefits other than just keeping the Bucks in town. Um, imagine what Foxconn is going to do, but I digress. In any event, the, the news in the last 24 hours was the Bucks have built this across the street from where the new arena is going to be. They have built this facility that is being described as the Taj Mahal of training facilities. It's $31 million and it's state of the art everything. I mean, you heard the news reports, you had people talking about, well, you, it's got underground parking. So the multimillionaire players can hop in their Mercedes Benzes at whatever downtown condo they have. They can drive to the facility. They can park underground. They can get out of their cars they, so they never have to go outside. They can take the elevator up, and then they can get their smoothie from the smoothie bars. And there's the there's the barber shop, and there's the state-of-the-art locker room, and there's all the conditioning areas and all these different types of things. And in the operative, you kept hearing Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal. And I was hearing from a number of people saying, hmm. All right. $250 million in taxpayer money to build this facility. Um, Now we're we're boasting about this $31 million state-of-the-art training facility, which has this wow factor or whatever. Uh, Where are the optics? Well, well, here's here's the thing that people need to know. First of all, it is my understanding this $31 million training facility was not built by public funds. This was a privately financed enterprise. So I, I think... That's important. If there were public dollars pouring into building the state-of-the-art Taj Mahal type of thing where you can get your haircut and your smoothies and you can get all this, this stuff, um, I, I think it might have been a bigger issue. But this is privately financed, so it's something that the Bucks are putting up. Um, from an optical perspective, the way things look... Understanding that there's still some people who don't agree with the two hundred fifty million dollar commitment to building the arena downtown, even though this is privately financed I, I think maybe if I was doing the PR for the bucks i wouldn't i i, I wouldn't have emphasized all these high end luxury things that are available for the the players because uh, again some people are saying well if they can afford to build all this for the players why why are we spending Any taxpayer dollars helping build the new facility. Now, the answer is we're spending taxpayer dollars building the new facility because we think big picture, it's going to be good for the city, it's going to be good for the region, it's going to be good for the state to have professional basketball and to have all this, hopefully, development that will come in the again in the shadow of where the new facility is and hopefully it won't just cannibalize business from the existing businesses like on third street so that that's that's it i I do if i were advising the bucks and believe me i'm not when it comes to pr i might have kind of downplayed how spectacular this new thirty one million dollar facility is given the fact that some people are still sensitive about two hundred fifty million of taxpayer dollars being used to build the new arena That being said, it was private money that went into it. And, again, anything that I think helps contribute to that entire area, helps that urban redevelopment, I think is going to be a good thing we're going to have to wait 5, 10, maybe 15 years to see whether the Bucks arena was ultimately good and a good investment. But for everybody who might say $31 million for this training facility that nobody but a bunch of millionaires is ever going to use, keep in mind it was private money that went into that. So if that's how they choose to spend their money, I say go with God. All right, it is 1058 coming up in the next hour. Should people have to move to go to jobs, another blow to the Democratic Party and the week in review. Stick around. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1109. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the State Fair. If you're coming out here again, it's, uh, there's no reason not to come out here, but my, I would encourage you to dress appropriately. Um, it's... It's kind of raw, it's kind of chilly, and there's also a a wind, which we're talking wind chill here. So, I mean, there's no reason not to come out. But my advice is, um, you know, wear long pants and wear, you know, a sweatshirt or bring a jacket along. It's perfectly fine if you're walking around like that. But if you think you're coming out and it's going to be 95 degrees or 100 degrees, that's not going to be happening. All right. um, Let me give you two pieces of breaking news, both which are, I guess, good in a way. First of all, remember we were reporting that story yesterday. The police officer was hurt Thursday morning after being thrown from his motorcycle in a hit-and-run crash on the city's west side. Um, Two motorcycle officers tried to stop a vehicle that was seen speeding over the North 27th Street viaduct um, about 940 in the morning. People in the vehicle were said to be acting suspiciously as they spoke with occupants of a second vehicle. The officers tried to stop the first vehicle when the second vehicle struck the officer on the motorcycle, throwing him from the bike. Both vehicles then took off. Gee, what could be going on here? Now, again, I don't mean to be cynical. I don't mean to suggest that it was a drug deal that they were investigating, but, you know, who knows? Um, In any event, horrific noise, officer and the bike. The officer flew on the bike into the brick wall of a daycare center across the street. Um, The officer was able to get up by himself. He was taken to the hospital, and my understanding is that he's going to be okay, okay? Injuries, not life-threatening, but this was a police officer, 54 years old, with more than 15 years of service. Okay, so the good news is, uh, this is just happening. Four people have been taken into custody in this hit-and-run crash. One of the two vehicles involved in the crash, and again... There are these people that are acting suspiciously. I don't know if it was a drug deal, but it kind of sounds something like that. And then the cops try to investigate, and then they run down the police officer and take off. One of the two vehicles involved in the crash was found just after 6 o'clock last evening following a chase that ended in the 2600 block of North 28th Street. See, maybe that's another reason why you you chase. In this case, the police would be authorized to chase because they believe the car was involved in the hit and run of a police officer. Another reason why you would chase, Ed Flynn, if you're listening, two 17-year-old males, one 19-year-old man, and a 21-year-old man were all taken into custody. Police are still looking for the other vehicle, the one that actually struck the police officer and threw him from his motorcycle. They've got A description, they've got the license plate, they've got a surveillance image photo. So, good news is that at least, first of all, the best news is the officer was not seriously injured. That's number one. Number two, that at least four of the people involved in the hit and run have now been caught. Assuming they are charged, of course, then you go into the uh, catch and release system of the Milwaukee County Court system. You know who knows what's going to happen then, but at least, at least for the moment, they are off the street, and that is a good thing. All right, big story number two: one of one of the most compelling reasons I, I think to for people to have voted for President Trump was the fact that the legacy that presidents have is in many cases tied to their appointments to the federal bench federal judges are like are the closest things that we have in this country to kings and queens they essentially are unaccountable they serve for life it is a lifetime appointment the only way they can be removed is if they are actually the equivalent of sort of impeached by the, the U.S. Senate, um, there have been federal judges that have been convicted of crimes and have continued to collect their salary for a while before Congress got around to doing it. So it's the appointment to the federal bench make, is, is a big deal. And I think one of the things that, from a perspective of conservatives, that you just couldn't argue with is the whole notion that the appointments of President Trump are going to be markedly different than the appointments of Hillary Clinton. And you've already seen that play out with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. Well, okay, below the United States Supreme Court, there are a series of appellate courts um, in, for us in Wisconsin... All the federal appeals cases, and these are the second-highest court, um, are it's the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It handles all the federal appeals from Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. And being a judge on the Seventh Circuit... You have a lot of impact because, like I say, the Supreme Court picks and chooses which cases it's going to decide to hear. Um, federal appellate courts pretty much, you know, hear most cases that are out there. This is where a lot of important law is made. In any event, there has been a vacancy on the Court of Appeals for a long time. Today, President Trump announced that he is going to nominate former Milwaukee County Judge Mike Brennan to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. I have known Michael Brennan for decades. Let me just say this: If you don't, I understand people don't follow the comings and goings of lawyers and things like that. This is an—you got to take this one from me. This is an absolutely outstanding choice. President Trump has knocked it out of the park by nominating Mike Brennan to the second highest court of the land. Mike Brennan was um, in private practice. He was a Milwaukee County Circuit judge for, I want to say, I want to say that it was um, at least... Eight or nine, ten years, he was an assistant district attorney for Milwaukee County before that. So here you have somebody with extensive experience in private practice. You have somebody who was a circuit court judge. You have somebody who was a state prosecutor. He is a conservative jurist. He's really, really smart. He's fair. He's a good guy. This is a home run on all different levels. Now, I understand that there's someone on the left that might try to, again, you know, block this. You know, He was involved with the Federalist Society, which is a group of conservative lawyers. Yeah, he was. There's a lot of us who were conservative lawyers who were involved with the Federalist Society. But Mike Brennan, an absolute and total star and President Trump today announces that he is going to be appointed to the seat um, to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. It's it's pending Senate confirmation. This is one that should not be controversial. Now I understand everything is, but uh, Senator Ron Johnson should do everything he can to push this one along. Uh, This is good news. This is very, very good news. And for people who might be having any sort of second thoughts about voting for President Trump, I'm just telling you, these appeals... Judge positions and the circuit judge positions are very, very big deals. And uh, Michael Brannon will make an outstanding, outstanding addition to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It's a winner. No question about it. It's 1117. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1119 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair can never go wrong with bumper music involving Leonard Skinner you just absolutely can't if you're coming out to the State Fair today we have a particularly attractive crowd gathering around including a guy just walked by he's wearing one of those keg killer t shirts down at the micro brewery tent if you happen to be the guy that or gal that has the beer that's the last one in the keg you get a t shirt how cool is that I think I have one or two of those from over the years. It's just, you know, what what can you say? Now, it is chilly out here. One of the things that I have noticed is normally by this time in the morning, everybody walking by, everybody's carrying beers. I will tell you, um, I've seen much more coffee or soda today than I have seen beers, right? Well, yes, she's she's all of four years old. Yeah, she's all of three years old. She's not going to be drinking a beer or maybe not, yeah, but I'm seeing soda, I'm seeing coffee, I'm seeing water and things like that. Um now, having said that, 40 minutes from now, it is my start of my weekend, so um, I, I'm thinking maybe a beer would be there. We have a particularly, like I say, a particularly attractive crowd and a whole bunch of younger listeners here who are all extremely cute. Um, stick around. You know, 15 years from now, this is going to be the radio show you're going to be wanting to listen to. Appreciate that. Um, we've got the Weekend Review coming up in just a couple of minutes. Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. I am the thorn between the two roses. They're coming out the, from our broadcast facility so we're going to do the show here um, earlier on it's interesting um, again I'm in this fishbowl so people get to look in and see what I look like I was telling the story earlier today that uh, lady stood in line for about 10 minutes yesterday and an uh, uh, older lady to, to start off the conversation by saying I'm going to insult you and now I've met tens of thousands of people in my life and I've never really started off the conversation saying I'm going to insult you and I said Okay, and she said, "Yeah, I was listening to you doing the show about how you like your iPod and how you know you go to the gym and you wear it on the treadmill." And she says, "I just want to say you need to go to the gym more." So in other words, she waited ten minutes in line to tell me that she thought I was fat. I mean, I'm just and I'm I'm like, "Oh, okay, ma'am. You know, thanks." It's kind of like you know you're, you're you're waiting in line to see Santa Claus, and it's kind of like, "All right, I'm going to think about what I'm going to say to Santa Claus, and I'm not going to ask Santa Claus for the football or the train set. I'm going to tell Santa Claus he's got big ears or a big nose or." Or the beard is whatever. I don't know, but but <laughs> I don't know. Not that I've been obsessing on that particular thing, but come on out to the fair. But anyways, people get to look in at me and draw their conclusions. I get to look out at people. There was a lady not that long ago who had a T-shirt on, a sweatshirt um, from the Outer Banks. And if you haven't been following the story, it's extremely interesting. I have I have never vacationed at the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is kind of like a chain of islands. Um, my, my best friend's son, his name is Dean, um, and I talk about Dean a lot. He's a wonderful young man. He he goes there every year. He's got buddies of his, and they, they have this house that they rent. Um, they got down there, and the Outer Banks has been evacuated for the last 10 days because what happened was – there, there was apparently a contractor that was doing bridge work, and these they're, they're linked together by bridges. It's like a chain of islands, from what I understand. And this contractor was doing bridge work, and it severed. The contractor severed this underground power cable and knocked out all the power to a couple of these islands. And so what they did is they ordered this mandatory evacuation because there's no power. And it, the power has been out for... Over a week, Um, I think they've now apparently just gotten it reinstated. Anyways, this lady was wearing this Outer Banks T-shirt, and I just kept thinking about, can you imagine the impact this has? Because the Outer Banks of North Carolina, this is the tourist season. You typically don't go to Cape Hatteras in in December or January. You You go in July and August. And for these businesses that are out there that have essentially had to shut down at the height of tourist season, for the better part of a week or two, I mean, can you imagine? Now there's all this talk. Some are, are thinking about suing the contractor who was working on the bridge. I don't know where that's going to go. But all these people have had their vacation plans completely and totally disrupted. The weather is apparently beautiful, but all the beaches on the Outer Banks have been desolate. Um, maybe they're going to start letting people in on Friday today. Maybe. But it's just been this huge loss. And so if you had, if you had at least over the last two weeks, if you had plans to go and vacation in the Outer Outer banks, um, you you have not been able to do it. Um, yuck. Uh, story I wanted to mention: President Trump has taken to going around and conducting. He's doing rallies. He he did one. Um, he, he did one the other night in in West Virginia. He did one last week. I actually watched a part of it in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. But these are campaign-style rallies, and he's giving his campaign-style speeches, and, and the people that show up at these love him. Interesting thing, he was in West Virginia, and West Virginia was a state that he carried. West Virginia was, and that's perhaps not surprising, because one of the big industries is coal mining. There was no question at all that the, uh, Hillary Clinton was very, very anti-coal. And so, you know, that that cost her, I think, West Virginia. But but here it's interesting because President Trump has the rally Um, on the stage with him is the governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice. Now, what is interesting about that is this is clearly a political rally. Jim Justice is a Democrat, or at least was a Democrat. You know, he was he only he was elected last November. He's only been in office six months. He ran as a Democrat. Well, yesterday at this rally in West Virginia, he announces to the supporters he is leaving the Democratic Party to become a Republican. Here's what he says. Like it or not, the Democrats walked away from me. West Virginia, I can't help you anymore by being a Democratic governor. So he understands... And and he just on stage with President Trump. And I I bring this up because if you read the Washington Post or the New York Times, and I do it so you don't have to, but if you do that, you get this idea that the Republican Party is in disarray and it's going to be an electoral bloodbath in two years, and and maybe it will be. I I don't know. Don't know. Now Of course, the stock market is high. Unemployment is at record lows. Um, Job creation is going through the roof. But one of the things you're seeing among rank-and-file stuff is – With this transfer, with Jim Justice switching over to be a Republican, he now becomes the 34th Republican governor. That ties an all-time high for the party. Republicans now control both the governor's mansion and state legislatures in 26 states. Total control. Democrats have total control in just six states. Um, It is just incredible where you see the switch and where the power is. And even in this era where you if you would believe some people, there, there's nothing going on for the Republican Party, people are bailing. Well, okay, you've got governors that are switching from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. It tells you that there is something going on that maybe, just maybe, is not being picked up by in the mainstream media. It's 1127. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's back to the AL East and Nitter play for the Brewers as they begin a road swing in Tampa. Our game day coverage from Tropicana Field begins at five thirty-five tonight here on six twenty WTMJ. Okay, the attractive quot- quotient um, of our like studio broadcast just went up dramatically because my co-hosts for the weekend review, Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson, just walked in. We've got that coming up in just a couple minutes. Lots of great stuff on today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll It is 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We do this every Friday at this time. It is the Week in Review. I am the thorn between the two roses, joined in our broadcast facility by Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good, good morning. Good morning. Fun to be here. And? Absolutely, absolutely. And Tracy Johnson from the uh, Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning.
4: This, this is awesome. I love being in the fishbowl. Right?
0: <laughs> you, um, well, you, 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 you've actually... Well you, you, you've actually, I mean both, by, by having the two of you here, you've, again, Im- improved the appearance quote <laughs> of this by, by by far. So we're, we're just delighted Aww. to have you there. Okay, um, number of things this week. Uh, I, I think that perhaps the big story continues to be Foxconn fever, uh, public hearings starting to be conducted on this. There are some people who are saying we need to go slow. The governor is committed to trying to get a package done very, very quickly. Uh, Tracy, you were at the hearings yesterday, right?
4: Yes. Yeah, we spoke at the hearing. It was, there were a lot of people there. Got to hear lots of different, different perspectives, but I think loud and clear the message was this is not just a deal, this is a good deal. So you had all the secretaries who were kind of outlining uh, the, the, the points of the proposal. They were talking about the benefits, about the, you know, the changes to the state law. And you know, I, I hope and I think that a lot of people's fears were
0: quelled. And what were the biggest objections you heard, the, the biggest rational objections?
4: The biggest rational objections, I think, were the concerns over some of the changes to the environmental, mm-hmm. uh, the permitting processes. I think there were legitimate concerns over how are they going to fill all of these jobs, and that's why many of the leaders from the education, education forum, uh, you had uh, Marquette's uh, Lovell, you had Monet, you had uh, people from the tech colleges, and you, you had representatives from Manpower talking about how do we get the workforce ready? How do we realistically do this? And it's an all-hands-on-deck, mm-hmm. and this multi-stakeholder approach, and everybody's really pulling in the same direction. So right, which is
0: something you almost never see, um, you know, people recognizing that this... When, when you hear the term game-changer. Susie Fawke, could this be a game-changer for Wisconsin?
5: Oh, it, absolutely it's going to be a game-changer. We spoke about it last week. You know, I, we didn't know all the details last week, but you and I talked about the ancillary businesses, the supply chain businesses that are going to set up shop in Wisconsin, um, the condos and homes that are going to go up in Racine, Kenosha, wherever they land, the the restaurants, the retail, the ah, you know, as an agency person, a provider of public relations mm-hmm. services, I'm excited, you know. Right. So I, I, I think that this is good all the way around I do think we're moving really fast I think we're gonna to have to be a little bit careful about the, the environment in particular I mean that's a sweet spot for me and I would hate to see anything nasty happen I, I want to make sure our waterways are well protected in the wetlands and I get that um it's a game changer and one you know these are these are business things to think about there's so many other things to think about like the investment in cancer research okay so
0: right the other the CEO y- yes, of, of, Gao, of Foxconn is, is correct. lost family members to this, his this, first
5: this, wife and his brother right, died so of cancer he's very out committed to Madison, yeah. he, and he's invested million multi-millions hundreds of millions of dollars in research in in Asia and he is at least saying that he's you know interested in what's going on from a cancer perspective here I think that's really exciting
0: Tracy, but, Tracy Johnson one of the arguments that you hear, and, and I get a lot of emails or calls. People will say, "Well, how do we know what it's going to be five or ten years from now? I mean, we'll make this commitment, they get these jobs, and then maybe maybe it's going to be automation, or maybe the business model they have is is going to change. I mean, is there any guarantees in the world?
4: Well, I, the the tax the t- the tax. Credits are all tied to job creation. So from a job creation standpoint, they will not receive the money until they create the jobs. And there are clawback provisions in place so that the money would have to be uh, repaid if, or it wouldn't be given out or these credits wouldn't be given out if they don't create the jobs and do what they say they're going to do. One point that one of the legislators made, though, was that when you have a new manufacturer and you have to build up the supply chain, you are creating all those other jobs. Sure. and. when you create those other jobs, they're not just servicing Foxconn. They're not just servicing the one company. They're servicing all kinds of other companies. And so they're creating, really, this ecosystem. And Mm -hmm. I think that... Is, a, is another strong argument for how this is really going to sustain over time and build over time. There is that talk about the automation. Obviously, that's the the, the way that many of these things go. But we're not just talking about factory jobs. We're talking about engineering, technical jobs. Um, you talk about the construction jobs. And, and, again, creating this ecosystem that will sustain and, and evolve over time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, also, I mean, one of the things that's always struck me is is there's no guarantees in the world. I mean, I 20 years ago, Oh, you know, if you ran a Blockbuster video store, that was a license mm-hmm. to print money. And and, and so you know, it was. Yeah. I mean, you go to a, the Blockbuster video on a Friday night, and it's packed. Okay, well, mm-hmm. technology has changed, and now people don't rent VHS tapes mm-hmm. anymore. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a good opportunity to run that Blockbuster video right. store for 10 or 15 years. Right. I mean, who knows where we're going right. to be 20 well, years down the line. Well, look lower.
5: at Net- Netflix. They started out you know, sort of the same way Blockbuster did. Now Netflix is going just crazy busy. Right. Now, I think if you look at m- what Mr. Gao has done with Foxconn, I mean, the early days of Foxconn, they were building joysticks, you know, for video games. So this is a company that is evolving with the times. They're bringing, you know, this cutting-edge technology. They've got their pulse on what's happening from that perspective. I think they're only going to evolve, and they're going to bring... Us along to evolve with them from a service provider and mm-hmm. other you know supply chain providers. We're all going to be. It's going to be very good for Wisconsin. I have um, a lot of Democratic friends. My parents are pretty liberal Democrats living in Racine. Uh, they they've downsized. They sold their house about five years ago and moved into a condo. And my father was a computer science professor at Parkside. You know, as we were joking, it's you know too bad this didn't happen 15 mm-hmm. years ago when he was still teaching computer science at Parkside and their house the value would yeah. just Incredibly right. increased, and these are li- my parents, liberal Democrats, saying, "Too bad, you know." So I, there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this.
4: It's receiving bipartisan support, and and what was interesting at the testimony too is there were uh, economic development leaders, there were mayors, representatives from all over the state, saying this is going to benefit my part of the state, not only from a supply chain standpoint, but from, from a job standpoint. Think about the income tax that will be collected, the property tax, all mm-hmm. of the benefits mm-hmm. that will be Well,
0: you, well the income tax. I mean, the reports are that as Foxconn gets running that the payroll that would be subject to these are the employees, it would be subject mm-hmm. to state taxes. They're, they're estimating $800 million a year. So these are people that are paying Taxes to the state, and these are also people that are presumably paying local property taxes, shopping at the stores, paying sales tax, all those type of things. All right, Tracy, you were out there. Is this going to happen? Are they going to get this done by September 30th?
4: I, I I think there is tremendous will to get this done, and I think that it will get done. I. I they're all pulling in the same mm-hmm. direction, and the the deal is there. There aren't a lot of changes that I think can be made to what's in front of them. I, I mean, they think they they know that a lot of this back end work has been done right. already, and the due diligence on this. So um, I'm hopeful that they're going to get it done. I think the leadership is
5: is pulling in the same direction. Susie. Yes, I do think so. And I am saddened by those um, who are not wanting to stand at the podium and celebrate this. Because I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for the parties to come together, to work together, bipartisan initiative. This could be a great thing. It's going to be a great thing for everyone, no matter what side of the
0: political aisle you're on. So, I mean, I keep coming back and thinking, okay, when they made this announcement last week, would How would we have felt if instead of it being it's coming to southeastern Wisconsin, the argument would have been, oh, Detroit got this? Right. I mean, how would everybody have felt? And the right. truth is, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you both. I think it's going to get done. I think that there is bipartisan support for this. And I think that some of the people who are trying to throw cold water on this, I think they might come to regret it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, lots more, including our our weekly Donald Trump update and much more. Stick around. It's the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined at the Wisconsin State Fair by Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's 1143. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. The Week in Review. Topic number two. President Trump has a new chief of staff. Now, ladies, last Friday we were talking about the mooch, <laughs> you know, and the obscenity-laced tirade and the call to the New York magazine, New Yorker magazine. All right, in in the week that has occurred, um, Reince Priebus gone, Anthony Scaramucci, we hardly knew ye, he's gone. Mm-hmm. John Kelly, um, former director of Homeland Security, former four-star general, now running the show. Okay, Susie, is this going to make a difference? <laughs>
5: <laughs> the producers of Saturday Night Live are having a heyday with us, so tune in for the new new season. But it, will this make a difference? Yes. I think finally they've found someone that will be able to instill some some order in the West Wing. I think that this John Kelly is very highly respected. I think he's not afraid to speak his mind. I think he took the job with the understanding that, you know, Donald Trump you and I are going to have differences, but this is the way the the, the, the staff's going to operate we're going to put some processes in place. I think it's very interesting that now um, even Donald Trump's family members have to go through John Kelly to get to him. Um, and that that's different. That's a whole, it's a new, it's a new White House. So we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. Is that crazy. I,
4: well, and I think all of this, when you think about it, how this all played out, it all happened for a reason. We needed Reince Priebus there. To get him elected, we needed Sean uh, Spicer there to kind of create a little bit of chaos. We needed Mooch there to, to you know, to There's add the what? These different. <laughs> I don't
5: know that anybody <laughs> yeah, needed I that, Mooch yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> I, that,
4: well, we needed him there to be the straw that broke the camel's back, right? right. And So now you've got. Just this 180, this 180 change, you've got you know a, a guy who's very respected. He's very loyal to the president, so it's not like they got him out of nowhere. Um, he's been working with the president. Um, everybody's reporting through him. It almost reminds me of this good cop, bad cop, or crazy cop, sane cop kind mm-hmm. of thing and the way that they're going to be able to move forward. And I think you even saw it. Uh, you were talking about this earlier about Jim Just- Governor Jim Justice, who has switched parties right. because he really is feeling confident about what's going on in the White House. House now. And I think that's what people need to see. And I think we, we've said this before, like, okay, this is it. This is it. So, we'll see.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think the key question is going to be, can and, and it's been the question all along, is that can can anybody rein in what would be some of the, I think, more frustrating tendencies of the President? Now, everybody, look, he's 72 years old. President Trump is President Trump. But at the same time, you know, if, if there's somebody that can say, "Okay, we're going to limit access. We're going to stop some of the craziness," and maybe, you know, Mr. President, maybe you, you want to stop sending out tweets at four o'clock in the morning to yep. create these controversies. And and I think General Kelly probably has as much chance of doing that as anybody mm-hmm. sure. does. And I mean, I think that's one of the keys.
4: Well, and, and uh, when you mention that, what I thought about is 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 Vice President Pence and saying, "Okay, wouldn't Vice President Pence be a good balance for that?" But mm-hmm. he he's more a, a, of an orator, I guess, and and Kelly is more of the the hammer, the Mm -hmm. administrator. So now maybe they've got... The perfect leadership team—the executors, the administrators, and the, the communicators. He,
5: he, he, his personality is exactly what Donald Trump needed, though. You know, Donald Trump only res- respects alpha males to the nth degree. Sure. You know, he's, hes just that. He's that buttoned-up guy who's going to tell it like it is. But that's Donald Trump. That's the way he is. So, I—you know—I—I'm hopeful because I think right now, things uh, up until John Kenny, Ke- Kelly, it's been a disaster, and you just don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think John Kelly is doing this much like Rex Tillerson took on that role to save the planet because this is a ma- Excuse me, but he's a madman in the White House, and there needs to be discipline. And I think John Kelly is serving his country far more than he's serving the president. Well,
0: Kelly, sc- sure. Kelly scored a lot of points with me when his first real thing was to dump Scaramucci, which who, <laughs> who I who I oh, should never been in a job in the first place. And I mean, I think was just was going to be a distraction, was going to be an embarrassment, and just getting rid of him. Um, just a couple eleven days, I mean he served a whole eleven days he shouldn 't have been in there from day one, but I mean obviously that shows that the President is willing to listen to kelly kelly 's the one that dumped him, and I thought that was good. okay, big story number three. I was driving through downtown earlier this week. You both work downtown mm-hmm. um, The streets are torn <laughs> up as the as the as the street core streetcar project goes on, a number of people who are affected by this aren 't happy including the fact that they don't think that there's going to be any gain at the backside of this. Mayor Barrett, he says, okay, don't worry, this is still going to be the greatest thing. All right, the streetcar, it's happening. There's nothing apparently people can do to stop it. Tracy Johnson, is this going to be a giant white elephant, or are we going to, those of us who are critics, are we going to have to eat crow on this one years from now?
4: Well, I think the the people who are critical of of the streetcar are going to be critical of the streetcar. And at the end of the day, this isn't going to be a, a, a cash cow for... Uh, for, for Milwaukee in terms of generating revenue through ticket sales or, or whatever uh, but I do think we have to look at this as the opportunity and that has been presented to us and say how do we leverage that in our in our pursuit of becoming that city and being that city that has access to transportation, that has high density housing, that has a a live, a lively nightlife and, um, and embrace that and, and leverage that. Now, my hope is that, this can serve as a hub for further transportation and transit to other high density okay, places within so, the city. So,
0: does that mean you're advocating expanding the streetcar throughout the city?
4: Well, that was the way that it was sold, I think, to the business community, is that it, this would be a first step. Yeah. And so that.
0: So, we're talking about hundreds of millions, maybe a billion dollars to go through the city.
4: Transit, the thing is, and. In, in, you know, without...
0: Nobody's going to ride it initially because it doesn't go anywhere where people want. So let's spend hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars more to take it to I, other places. I, the,
4: the benefit disagree. is going to be in in things that aren't tied to ticket sales. And I think it's easy to to criticize the the investment. For, on its face value, but I think the ancillary development, I think okay. the, the intangible benefits will benefit the city.
5: I know there are a lot of businesses that are not happy right now. Mm-hmm. Those are located downtown and sure. you know they're, they're, their clients aren't able to find parking and it is it is a pain right now and I get that. Um, but if you do consider that there are also businesses that don't want to locate downtown because the bus routes are constantly changing and they need a, a reliable um, system of transportation transportation for workers, who, which they know isn't going to change, and that is the streetcar. Who's going to ride the truck? I will. Gonna, who's going to ride the Oh, my the, gosh, r- I will. From, so will the Fox millennials. No, so, drive, no, no, no. Second,
0: you're going to drive no. from Fox Point no. somewhere no. on the east side, no. hop the streetcar no. no. to get to no. your no. business?
5: I, w- I would park in the fifth ward. I'd have my meetings. I would take the streetcar up for meetings downtown. Jeff... My my office is, is up in Mequon anyways. I, so I do I work a lot downtown, and I go to places like Hudson Business Lounge and ra- oh, I shouldn't say Radio Eight Eight Nine, but exploded. Stone Creek. I do, and there are a lot of people who are home officing that want to work downtown to be where the action is, it's, it's gonna be and they want to get around. And oh, okay, I,
0: well we we can mark the tape. You're that way. I, right. I continue to believe that 10 years from now, if Martians land in Cathedral Square Park and look out at yeah. the, what I believe will be a trolley carrying nothing but air, they will leave convinced that there's no intelligent Jeff, life also, in Milwaukee. You also just thought gonna- <laughs> that
5: Facebook was dumb, too, you know? Oh, back in the day, you didn't understand
0: the need for Facebook. What is this Facebook thing if we can speak? <laughs> the Facebook. I, 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 I still, I'm resisting that. Okay, okay we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's our Right Stuff Awards. Uh, Suzy Falk, Tracy Johnson, I'm Jeff Wagner. It's the Week in Review. It's 1156, Jeff Wagner, Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk, our Right Stuff Awards. Tracy, you're first.
4: Well, my Right Stuff Award goes to Representative Adam Nalen, who is the head of the Assembly Committee on Jobs and the Economy. He led his committee members uh, yesterday through what was... I think over a 10-hour hearing about the Foxconn proposal, and I was just thoroughly impressed with uh, the process, the way he handled the committee, Um, and all the committee members, for that matter, were respectful of all angles, asked good questions. Uh, So My Right Stuff goes to that group. Um, Hopefully that's how other hearings will go in such a respectful manner.
0: My Right Stuff Award winners goes to the CrossFit Games. They're going on this weekend in Madison at the Alliant Energy Center. It's a worldwide fitness competition, 640 athletes, 31 countries. They estimate that $7 million in the lo- in money in the local economy, it's a great thing. Hope that they come back for years and years to come. Susie Fox.
5: Yeah, well, my Right Stuff Award winner goes to this guy. He's just fabulous. Uh, some people know him, many people don't, but he's got a big mouth. But you know what? People who do know him love him. And, and just recently, Tracy and I got the scoop, and we're going to break it here. We're going to break this news. Uh, on your radio station, Jeff Wagner, our dear friend, Jeff Wagner, everybody's favorite talk show host, is going to be getting married Woo-hoo. yes yes he, he popped the question and Fran the lucky lady <laughs> said yes and oh we've got everybody's happy and clapping <laughs> yay <laughs> Congratulations, Jeff! Couldn't happen to a nicer guy.
0: Uh, thank you very much. We um, once, once again, in matters of the heart, I have um, been fortunate enough to outkick my coverage. There's no question Aww. about it. And so, um, yes, we, we've known each other for for quite a while, um, and um, we got engaged over the Fourth of July, and we're getting married um, in a couple months or so. So, it's uh, again, I'm I'm extremely lucky. But thank you. It's very kind of you. Um, very kind of you, and I'm I'm a very lucky guy. Aww. All right. Are you guys going to come back, and we're going to do this again from here next week? Yeah, You bet. All right. Okay, good enough. I appreciate you coming out here.